It's my fault. I had it muted. Doesn't work real well, if that's the case. Um, I'm so glad to be back with you again today. Thankful for, for Jerry for filling in last week uh, on such a short notice. And uh, yeah, thankful that God's word was certainly proclaimed. I was watching on a phone uh, in a hospital room, but uh, so glad that everything went so well and thankful that Lottie is doing well. Also, uh, she's here this morning, uh, recovered well and much to her chagrin, she'll be back at school tomorrow. Um, and so doing really well. But I want to invite all the, the boys and girls, all right, hey kids, all boys and girls in the room, if y'all would, join me up here on the steps. I want to read a, a story to you guys. So, so come join me up here. Have a seat right up here on the step nearby. You don't have to be afraid of me. You can come close. Okay, good. Oh, I was just told I was funny, so it's okay. All right. Um, moms and dads, grandparents, this is, uh, this is called the Biggest Story Bible Storybook. And we actually have several copies right out here uh, in Corner Books. Uh, and I, I just read through this whole thing, uh, not in one sitting, with, uh, with my youngest, with Zeke. Uh, and so I just, there's a few stories in here over this year that I want to read to you because I really, really liked it. And so, uh, but I wanted y'all to, as parents and grandparents to know, you can get copies of this. It's, it's really, really rich and good. And so, uh, do y'all, raise your hand, boys and girls, do you like stories? Do you like hearing stories? Oh, we read stories at our house like every day. And so this one, y'all can see this right here. I'm going to do my best to show you pictures. But this one is called God Raises Up a Deliverer. Here's what it says. Do you remember the, the famine in Israel and how God's people had to leave their country and how Joseph took care of them and gave them food and land in Egypt? Well, I hope you remember all that because it wasn't long before Pharaoh forgot. After Joseph had died, the new Pharaoh looked at the Israelites in Egypt and said, boy, there sure are a lot of those people. Pharaoh was afraid that the Israelites would get big and strong and fight against the Egyptians. So he made God's people slaves. Life was very hard for the Israelites. They had to build cities and make bricks and do whatever their masters made them do. But the Israelites, they kept multiplying because that's what God told his people to do in the garden. And because that's what God promised Abraham he would do for his people. This made Pharaoh and the Egyptians even more scared and even more cruel. They were so cruel that Pharaoh ordered the Israelite baby boys to be killed. This probably made the Israelites very scared too. But it's always better to fear God than to fear people, which is why the women who helped with the babies refused to carry out Pharaoh's command. Good for them, right? You'll see Pharaoh here. You'll see him. Okay, then it says this. Of course, the Israelite moms and dads didn't want their sons to be killed either. So one mom hid her child for three months and then made a little baby basket and sent him down the river. Whew, that sounds dangerous. But don't worry, the baby was safe. In fact, he floated right to Pharaoh's daughter and she raised him as her own child. You'll see that? The basket? Yeah, sure. See it? Okay. You may have heard of that special baby before. His name was Moses, and God was with him. 
When Moses learned he was a Hebrew, just like the slaves, he became angry with the Egyptians. He was so angry that he killed one of the cruel Egyptians and hid him in the sand. Moses was going to be a great deliverer, but not quite yet. He left Egypt for 40 years, got married, had children, and learned to take care of sheep. One day, while Moses was tending the flock, God spoke from a burning bush and told Moses three very important things. I'm the God of your fathers. I've chosen you to save my people, and I am who I am. In other words, I have a big task for you, but don't be afraid because I'm a very big God. Moses would be the deliverer, but God would do the rescuing. See, here's that Moses with the burning bush. See that? That's a burning tree, isn't it? Yep, sorry. Uh, Awesome, awesome. So today, as we're listening to the story, we're not going to get to the burning bush quite yet today, but we are going to hear about how God saved, rescued Moses while with his mom putting him in that basket and floating down the river. So y'all listen carefully as we tell that part of the story from the Bible, okay? All right, y'all go have a seat back with your moms and dads. All right, for everybody else, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. I say everybody else, boys and girls, you can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 also. Uh, we, again, I, I preached from Exodus 1 a couple weeks ago, then Jerry kind of did a recap of Exodus 1, but also kind of helping us remember, how did we even get to Exodus 1? What, uh, he did a great job. The, by the way, those are um, the questions he was asking about, like, how did we get here? And then kind of following that trail until answering that question, which led to another question, how did we get here? That's a great way to study God's word. Questions lead you to digging in more and asking more questions. So, so don't hesitate to ask questions that will lead you to, to find more out, especially when it comes to uh, what we call narrative, like the story of Scripture. Ask questions. How did we get here? Sometimes we open up to Nehemiah, and uh, if we're in our Bible reading plan, we've been reading Nehemiah, but if, if, you, if you hadn't paid attention, how did the Israelites even get to where the wall was broken at the first place? Right, you have to back up a little while. When did they leave? When did they get back? All of those kind of things. So, so dig in and study. But today we're going to just be in the first several verses of chapter two. I had debated back and forth on whether or not to to put this in the first sermon, and then I thought about making chapter two as a whole another sermon, but. Uh, I just thought, let's just do it just these 10 verses, okay? We got all the time in the world, right? We're just going to go until the Lord comes back. So uh, Exodus, we won't be in Exodus that long, but uh, Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river while her young women walked walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. 
She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will, I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And we, there's, there's a, a couple different pieces that we want to see today uh, in light of this text. And the first piece is this, that Moses was rescued by women. Uh, if you remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I highlighted the fact that, that women should have scared Pharaoh more than, they, than he was afraid of them, right? He, he was trying to kill the boys, but it was the women who were solving all of the problems that the Israelites were having. It was the women that were stepping up. And once again, it's women who are stepping up. Now, uh, I, I'm telling y'all, like this is important for us. We do not need to miss how important women are. Uh, there weren't enough amens there, but, but we, we do. We need to not miss that. And let me, let me just briefly try to explain something to you. Uh, we here at Colonial Heights, we would be described as what is called complementarian. That's a big theological word that means that we believe that men and women are created by God to complement one another. We are made to have different roles, but we are more alike than we are different, right? When, when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he says, look, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Like, this, is, this, this one's like me. This one's not like any of the other animals. This one's like me. He, he's seeing sameness, not difference. Uh, he certainly delights in that. But this text, these few verses here, I want to be careful. This text is not intended to elevate women over men. Just as the, the point of Daniel and the lion's den is not to elevate men over women. Right? A, a complementarian says men and women have equal value, but just different roles. Sometimes, though, we fail. I mean, quite honestly, we, we in the church have failed because we assume that men somehow have greater value. And then in the culture, sometimes a feminist culture might even go so far to say that women have greater value. But we want to see, we as a church want to see women for the wonderful gift they are and see men and women both as image bearers of God who simply have different roles in the family and in the church. We're thankful for the similarities that we have, and quite frankly, I'm thankful for the differences we have. I mean, let's be honest, we don't need only men around. We also don't need only women around. That's when the ladies are supposed to say amen, okay? Because you guys did good on that. You guys did good, right? Uh, I, I want you to know that uh, in the next family meeting, you, you saw us announce that family meeting is coming. And I know that sometimes when you hear family meeting, you're like, oh, uh, I don't really go to that because it's on Sunday night and I don't come back on Sunday night. But I, I want to particularly invite you to be back uh, to hear some more uh, specific information about uh, 
women in the church at Colonial Heights, uh, some work we've been doing to try to bring some godly women to the forefront that might come alongside some other women in the church in their time of need. And so please make it a point that next Sunday night you are back at 5 o'clock uh, to, to hear what God is doing uh, in the church in that way. So back to the text. Moses was rescued by women. Let's, let's see how that played out. Well, his mother, right, his mother hid him, protected him, and nursed him. This is just so awesome how God orchestrated this. So the woman, verse 2, conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Pause right there. Uh, don't think that if he had been an ugly child, she would have discarded him. This is saying like he was healthy. He was okay. Everything was well, right? So when she sees that he's okay, she's like, okay, because he's okay, I don't want them to take him away from me, right? This is during the period when, when Pharaoh has said like all baby boys should be murdered. She's saying, no, no, he's fine. He's, he's okay. He's alive. I want to make sure he stays alive. So she hides him. And then it becomes where it's not so easy to hide that crying baby any longer. I don't, I don't know exactly how, uh, I, I, we know it was three months, but I don't know how she made it the first three months with, in silence or whatever that might have looked like, right? But when she could have hit him no longer, she, she took for him a basket. Can you imagine making a basket that you planned to put your child in in hopes that that basket would keep you safe, would keep this child safe? If you'd ever weaved a basket, that would have been your best, right? Oh, like, and, and, and here's, the, here's the thing. This wasn't out of uh, like a, a moment of, of disregard. This wasn't a moment of, I, I just can't handle it anymore. This was thinking best of the baby. We, we want this baby to stay alive, so I'm gonna do what, the only thing I know to do is to, to make this basket. I'm gonna, I'm gonna patch it up. I'm gonna basically waterproof it to the best of my ability. I'm going to place this baby in a river. Like, just knowing, like, I just can't imagine that, that moment of feeling the, the rippling waters take the, the basket away. His, his sister couldn't imagine it either, so she stood by, didn't she? We'll talk about her in just a minute, but... But here's what's amazing. The, the basket flows right to the Pharaoh's daughter's, uh, like where she's bathing and cleaning, and comes right up to the reeds. She notices this is something different. In fact, it's, the baby's crying. But when, when she asks, the, the sister is right there. Right? Hey, do you, do you want me to go get uh, someone a Hebrew woman to nurse her? How convenient that I'm standing right here. I happen to know some Hebrew women. Not just some Hebrew women, of course, right? She gets to go back to, take him back. Can you imagine then being the mom? I mean, I'm not a mom. But I just sent my child down a river in a basket. And now I, I get to finish kind of nursing him? I get to be with him every day. My, my 
my time just got longer with my child. Like that's a different kind of joy. So mother hid him, protected him, and nursed him while his sister watched him and spoke for him. Verse 7, his sister says to Pharaoh, shall I go and call you a nurse? Now, this would have been a, a very bold statement. You remember the Egyptians do not like the Hebrews at this point. They do not like the Israelites, especially Pharaoh's daughter. This is not just any Egyptian. This is like the Egyptian of the Egyptians family is, is like that, that sister was bold to be able to say, hey, I've got an answer for you. Hey, I've got a, hey, I, I know that you just hear that baby. Do you want me to help? That, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's not, uh, uh, like that can, that can be one of those things that we just kind of pass by. Like, oh yeah, she was there. Of course she would speak up. No, she wouldn't necessarily speak up. At this point, Israelites would not have spoken to Egyptians. It, would have, it wouldn't have interrupted them. They wouldn't have even, they would have been seen as an imposition at best. No, she's bold in this. She walks right by the river the whole time, following that basket and then speaking up for her brother. And then thirdly, his adopted mother pitied him, paid for him, and named him. Now we can rightfully celebrate the Israelite mother and the Israelite sister, but take note, Pharaoh's daughter did good. That God used someone outside of the people of God to bring about good. Right? She opened, verse 6, she opens the basket, sees the child, sees that the baby was crying, and took pity on him. Now what, what she could have done and been uh, approved to do she could have right then sent the child further down the river. She could have simply murdered the child and Pharaoh would not have punished her for that. Like the law would not have punished her for that murder. She took pity. There was... This was because of God's grace, surely. God's grace was showing through Pharaoh's daughter. But then she went even further. She paid the woman, Moses' mother. She paid wages to her to raise the child for at least some time. And then when Pharaoh, when he's older, they bring him back to Pharaoh's daughter. She says she named him Moses, verse 10, because I drew him out of the water. Wow. Like, getting to name the child that then we talk about literally thousands of years later seems like a pretty big deal, doesn't it? We're not, we're not, again, we're not talking about something small here. The naming of a child was a significant matter then, maybe even more so than it is today. But she's bestowing on him uh, his name, a name that, that was even, like it, it's spoken throughout Scripture, 
It's described later. I mean, she wouldn't have known it then, but we do now, right? So here's, here's what we see early on, is that, that Moses is rescued by these women, his mother, his sister, and his adopted mother. But Moses was saved by God. Now, again, I realize that uh, you have slept since the last time I preached in here, so uh, it's likely you don't remember everything that I say in every sermon. Uh, I don't remember everything I say in every sermon, okay? So it's fair. But maybe you remember a couple weeks ago when I said Exodus is not a book about Pharaoh and it's not a book about Moses. It is a book about God, okay? If you don't remember that, I want you to remember it next time, okay? Because for the, the rest of our study of Exodus, this is gonna come back over and over. This is not just about Moses. This is a book about God. It tells us more about who he is. And you might be saying, okay, well, in these 10 verses, Chad, there's no mention of God. We don't, we don't see uh, his handiwork here. Well, I heard this story recently and I felt like it, it might fit for us. There was this Christian woman in her house and uh, she was praying uh, out loud. She was uh, poor and she was asking God to fill her pantry. God, I need food. Will you fill my pantry? Like, fill it up. I, I need you to provide food for me. So she prays this day after day after day, like several days in a row and still no food in the pantry. And she's, she's praying it out loud, out the window even. Like, I don't, I don't know if the Lord doesn't hear it inside, so I'm gonna speak it louder, right? So she speaks it louder and louder. And God, please provide, fill up my pantry. One day, the doorbell rings. She opens the door and guess what happens? There's a, there's a pile of groceries on her doorstep. She says, praise God, God did it. God did it, he gave me exactly what I needed. And just then, her atheist neighbor, right, someone who doesn't believe in God, jumps out of the bushes and says, nope, I did it. I, I went to the store, I bought you groceries, I heard you, you, you praying to this non-existent God and I wanted to prove to you that your God did not exist. So I bought the groceries, I put them on your doorstep, I rang the doorbell and guess what? I, I did it, so you, you can't praise God. You should be praising me, you should be giving me credit. Sure enough, she, she looks at him with a big smile and says, praise God, praise God, God did it, God did it. He's like, I don't think you understand. Uh, I took my money, I went to the store, I bought the groceries, I put them in my car, I drove them to your, this house, I unloaded them, I rang the doorbell, I, you came out, and then I, again, I told you all that. She says, praise God, God did it, God did it, and he made the devil pay for it. <laughs> right, like, like this, this is what happens, right? We all the time, we, 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 we don't always have to hear God's name in the story to know that God did it. Like we, we look at this story and we see that, that God allowed Moses, his mother, to see a fine son and hide him for just a while. That God does this work, putting a child in a basket and making the child survive till it gets to Pharaoh's daughter. And the sister to be right there at just the right time. It gives the sister the boldness she needs. It gives the 
gives the grace and mercy to Pharaoh's daughter to then be shown to the, the mother and the child and sister all over and over and over again. Just because the Lord's name is not in the text does not mean he's not in the story. See, I want you to see this unique word that for like my lifetime until the last few uh, months did I not see as the same. I didn't know, and part of it's because I hadn't done the study. I didn't know uh, the history of the language, and so certainly tried to do some of that in this. The word in verse 3, the word translated in English for basket. Now, see that word? You can circle that word if you want. This word can be translated as a basket. It can be translated as, as ark, as chest, as box, and even as coffin. So here's why this matters so much and how it connects us so clearly to God's hand, even though we do not see his name. You remember a couple weeks ago when I shared with you that the Exodus is like the continuation of the story of Genesis, right? So you remember early on in Genesis, there's an ark, Noah's ark, Okay, same, same word here. And so here's what happens in that story. A man, Noah particularly, is placed in an ark to protect him from death. And then he is drawn out of the water to demonstrate the faithful promise of God. Right, that's what happens in the ark, right? Noah's ark, like the, the world is being destroyed because there's a lot of sin in it. And so God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Here's how I want you to build it. You and your three sons and their wives and your wife, you're gonna all get in this boat together, this ark, this word. And God puts them all in the boat, in the ark, and then he draws them out, providing protection for them, displaying, demonstrating his faithful promise. We then have a rainbow that reminds us of the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, that he will never do this again. But even the rainbow, just in general, reminds us that God is faithful, right? So back in Genesis, we have this, that the ark, a man is placed in an ark to protect him from death. He's drawn out of the water to demonstrate the faithful promise of God. Now fast forward to Exodus chapter two, and you have a basket, but this time, a baby is placed in a basket to preserve his life. He is drawn out of the water to demonstrate the faithful plans of God. It's a pretty awesome parallel, isn't it? Let me pause here for just a moment. You may not know that today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, but to we ought to point out how the one true God of the, the Bible values all human life. It is clear that he places high value on young life, in fact. The Lord is pleased with the midwives in the last chapter for protecting the Israelite children. The Lord is pleased when Moses' mother protects and Moses' sister speaks up and when Pharaoh's daughter rescues. And in a couple weeks, we will be in a study 
on Sunday nights uh, called Gospel Answers to Cultural Concerns. I've mentioned that before. We got our study guides in for that just this week. Uh, you, you will not want to miss this time. And you might be saying, uh, well, what, will we be talking about sanctity of life at that? Yes, one of the whole sessions is dedicated to sanctity of life. And you might wonder why we even need to talk about that. We, we say we celebrate that Roe was overturned, so to speak, right? But there are lots of reasons to discuss this topic. One of which is the majority of abortions take place outside of the United States. Not to mention the fact that scripture gives us some clear understanding of what we must believe about the value of life and God's value of life. And so anytime scripture speaks to it, it is good for us to speak to it also. So be here to hear and study and learn those things. We, we, again, so catch this, we hear in this, this text, we have the same word for ark and basket. God shows his hand of protection and his hand of preservation. But now I want you to see that this word is also used for coffin. Now I realize that uh, this is different than uh, the stone that was rolled away. Okay, but I want you to, to stick with me because there was a, a man who was placed in a coffin, so to speak, to provide for others' lives. He was drawn out of the grave to demonstrate the faithful provision of God. You see, this, this story of what took place with Moses in a basket is actually a story intended to point us to Christ, our rescuer. No, Jesus' name is not in these 10 verses. But here's, here's the reality for us. God, in Genesis, shows us that God created all things. He shows us that he values life, that he makes everything. He says, you should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He, he loves people, wants more people to exist, in fact. So he tells them, like, keep making more people. Fill the earth. We, we sinned, and in our sin, even in birth, the pains of childbirth are reminded that we've gone against God's plan. We, we disobeyed him. We disregarded him. We offended God in our sin, in our wrongdoing, choosing wrong. And so God needed to make a way for us to be able to be in his presence because in our sin, we have offended him so much that, that we can't even be near him. So he made a way. He sent his son, Jesus, to take on our punishment for us. And in his, so that punishment was death. So he died. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He took our place. He provided for us. But then he came back to life. <laughs> this is where it gets amazing. He didn't stay dead. He came back to life defeating hell, defeating the grave, defeating sin, defeating death for you and me. 
So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the basket, right? He, he puts us in the basket. He rescues us out of, he draws us out of the water. We, we are not uh, the rescuer here. We're the one who needs rescuing. And so he does. He makes a way. He says, here's, here's how all that works. If you will turn away from your sin, the Bible calls that repentance. Like change allegiance. It's stop going your way. Stop trying your plan. Stop trying to do it your way. And trust in Jesus. Trust in the one who is your provision. Trust in the one who did defeat the grave. Trust in the one who did defeat hell. Trust in the one who did defeat sin. Defeated death for you. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus. Call him Savior and Lord. Because he is the Savior. So, Maybe today that's exactly what you need to do. You need to say, yes, I will turn away from everything else. Yes, I, I will follow after you. Yes, I will go wherever you say. Yes, I will do whatever you say. Because in surrender to you, in my repentance of my way, turning away from my way, I'm going to go whatever your way says. So I'm in. I follow you. That's what some of you need to respond that way today. And I encourage you, right where you are, call out to God. Maybe you have questions or you feel like you need help with that. Over here to my left in just a moment when we sing, there are some that would love to help answer questions, point you to scripture, pray with you, help you in any of these ways. Some of you, some of you are, I would say even most of you in the room are followers of Christ. It might be good for you to simply recognize today that God's hand is in your life. Right, even in the dark moments, and you give him credit for his hand. That even when you can't see his name on the text that you know he was there. Will you, even in your darkest moment, maybe David mentioned this earlier, maybe this week has been particularly hard for you. Will you say, I'll praise you even in the valley when it's dark and hard and sad and I'm, I'm lonely and I'm grieving, but I'll praise his name. I'll, I'll give him credit because he's good. Because he rescued when I didn't deserve to be rescued. So, as we respond today, would you give God the credit he deserves and respond to him in the way he deserves? Stand with me as we respond.